At last, at last, the Savior of the world is King. And we have got the privilege and the honor to be servants and followers of this King. And we are part of the kingdom. And being part of the kingdom is being part of growing into our love, into our passion, into our convictions for this king. Whose kingdom is upside down. So, as a church, we've been journeying. This is our fourth week that we've been journeying in the book of Colossians. And we've been looking at the whole idea of growth. And we've said, you know, are you ready to grow in 2020? And each week... I've just landed a question for myself and for you. So the first question, we was kind of prompted from the passage that we read in the beginning of the book of the Colossians when Paul is thanking God for um, the people in Colossae and for their faith. So that leads us to the question, what are you thankful for? And then uh, Paul co- continues in the kind of that attitude of prayer, but praying specifically for specific areas of the church life in Colossae. And um, so I land the question, what are you praying for? And um, this morning, I've got the question, what's our template of worship and theology? And again, this is based on a passage that we're going to be reading from Colossians chapter 1, verses uh, 15 to 20. But all of this came, um, was introduced to us, and I, I specifically chose the, the parable of the sower of the seed. And um, we are reminded that there is one good quality seed that is being generously um, planted, sowed, and um, we, the, the, it reminds well, the parable of the sower of the seed reminds us that also that there are some things that we need to be aware of, that um, there are four different kinds of soil, and we're going to be looking more focusing that it's only the good soil that provides growth. It's only the good soil that, that gives that, that, that um, growth. And then um, going to, to kind of look at the roots and the foundations uh, the parable talks about the things that were interfering uh, with the roots not getting um, grounded and rooted and stuff. Um, and then the, the, the warning that Jesus gives um, about the, the idea that there are a lot of things that can come in the way of Jesus. So being aware of the thief that steals the truth about Jesus. And then the clutter. And... Um, this, uh, this is kind of the framework that we're going to be looking at the, the, the book of Colossians and, and expand it. Um, so um, the, the vision that, that I had was very well kind of approved last week from Jill coming to me again. I want to say this because I read different commentaries and I read different sources. And I had, when we looked at the book of Colossians, I had this this impression that actually it's so intense and it's so 
condensed that something needs to happen here. And then I thought um, anti-rights comment was that actually it's like a flower that is unfolding and, and, and it comes. And I used that kind of prop last week, oh no, two weeks ago, of that tea, jasmine tea that put in hot water and it kind of expands and, and unfolds. So I think that's, that's the sense that we, we've got as we look at the book of Colossians, that it's not something that we need to, to rush, it's not something that we need to, to, to go through quickly, but let's wait for the Holy Spirit to unfold the Lord Jesus to us and see what we can do with that. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about worship. Um, uh, if you've got your Bibles, I think it's 832, 832 in the church, is it? Yeah. Okay. In the church's uh, Bibles. We're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. Paul has just told the Colossians what Jesus has done for them. He said, he has rescued you from the dominion of darkness and put you into the uh, kingdom, the kingdom of life, light. And then he starts with this phenomenal statement about who Jesus is. So Father God, reveal to us afresh the Lord Jesus. And through your Spirit, enable us to worship, not only with our songs, but with our minds, our hearts, our lives. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for being at work in us. Come and reveal this Lord Jesus to us today. And Lord, and if they've got any ideas or any thoughts that is going to stop people to do that, I pray that you help me to discern that and not say it. But all the meditation and all the thoughts and prayerfulness that I have had this, this, for this passage, Lord, I pray that it will be my act of worship to you so be glorified as we hear your word and as we respond in obedience in Jesus mighty name Amen let's hear what Paul has to say about Jesus I want to start with verse 13 because I, I love that for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And then verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. I'm going to read this slow so we can take it then. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. 
All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. May God's name be blessed through the public reading of his word. Whoa. That's why I say that image of the f- that flower is so much in this. Uh, we, we're going to be dealing with this um, in the next, today and next Sunday. Uh, but just, just to, 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 to give you a little bit of the background, why is Paul saying what is he saying? Um, it's very interesting. Um, different commentaries and different authors, scholars have have looked into this passage, and uh, they they say that actually it's it comes as a very clear poem and robust writing, just bang on in the middle of Paul's letter. And some people think perhaps this was an old hymn that actually the Colossians were aware of, and they knew what he was talking about. He was just putting that as a reminder. But looking at each of the sentences of the words, it's like we can spend ages trying to, to, to unfold and to look at all those truths. We're not going to do that today. I just wanted to, to give you a little bit of the apostle's heart. Why is he writing this? And some of it will be repetitive of the pre- what I've shared in the previous weeks. But it's just to make a point that actually the Apostle Paul was really inspired by the Holy Spirit to address this church that I said, that he has not planted himself, but he sees that there is life. And therefore, he is going to come to this community where I said last week that is fragile and vulnerable with statements that are going to be so powerful and life-giving. And we're going to, know, we're going to see later on a little bit why Paul chooses to give these statements. So what was Paul's frame? So we, we talked a little bit about the framework of thanksgiving uh, the first week, the second week, we, no, second week, third week, we talked a little bit about the framework of prayer. Today is more the framework of, of worship and theology. Um, look at the apostle. Look at his life. Look at the transformation that has, has happened to him. All you need to do is just look at the book of Acts and see what has happened in the apostle. You know, so I, I've said this about the thanksgiving and prayer, but I say this for the worship. There was a heart posture. It was non-negotiable. What does, it, what does happen to Paul when he is in prison with Silas in Acts chapter 16? He's worshipping God. He's worshipping God to the point that 
a deliverance, the, the opening of the prison gates happen. To the point that somebody, one of the guards, listened to what Paul and Silas are singing, and he is interested. He's worshipping. It's a posture of heart. It's an attitude. It's not something that comes because he has a meeting at 10.30 every Sunday. It's an attitude of heart. It's a posture. That's why he's got the guts as well to write to different groups of churches in, in, in different New Testament parts, saying that when you've got an opportunity, when you gather together, just sing, encourage one another with hymns of praise. It's, it's, it's natural. It's a posture of heart. It's not imposed. It's not fabricated. It's not something that you do because you have to do if you become a Christian. No. Worship. It's a posture of heart. And he has to come up with his bold statements, statements because he sees that actually he's heard this from Epaphras, that perhaps these are the things that these guys need to hear. Statements about Jesus. Yes, we say Jesus is a beautiful name. Yes, Ruth reminded us about us recognizing Christ in, in our own lives. But what does that mean? As a model of caring and being attentive. Paul, Paul's life has changed. From a guy who used to go and get letters of terrorism from the high priest to go and kill the church. Now his heart, this seed of the kingdom of God has landed in such a soft soil that his heart is for the church. And he's being attentive to what God is doing in Colossae. Epaphras has come back to him to say, these are the things that are great that are happening there, and these are the things that actually they need you to input with your apostleship there. So he's being attentive and caring of the flock. Although he has not planted the church, as I've said many times, he's really being attentive what the needs are. And again, I need to say again that this is a very fragile community. They did not have the New Testament Scriptures. And what an opportunity for an apostle to write a letter and seize the opportunity to encourage growth. This is not the same as his writing to the Corinthians. When, when he's writing to Corinthians, he's saying, guys, I gave you meat, but actually you cannot chew that meat. You, you need to drink the milk. So I have to go and switch my teaching into milk. I think with Colossae, it's a different attitude. These guys are in the middle of all that's happening. And basically, Paul is feeding them with meat. Look at your Bibles. Look at the condensed structure of those five verses and the last one which again we've heard from the previous weeks is that actually Paul is coming from a place that if he's going to encourage people about faith love and hope this is coming from that place that actually his worship and his theology is going to come 
from somebody who's walking in faith, who's walking in love, who's having this hope that he notices in Colossians and has experienced it himself. So I think Paul here is using this, this opportunity to teach the church in Colossae about worship. And today we're not going to spend time on the content of the teaching, but I'm just going to give out some ideas about the criteria. What, what is it trying to, to use this for? And um, the first one that, that, that kind really comes to mind is, we read it later on in the letter, is, um, let, let's read it together. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 7. You have received this Christ. Actually, you people were in the middle of the kind of your philosophies, in the middle of your religious practices and whatever is going, and somebody has come and brought you the gospel and has brought you Jesus, and you have received him now. You have encountered salvation. You have encountered this Jesus who is transforming. And he's saying, so then just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live in him. We're going to dwell this on this verse later on, but I just wanted to say that the reason why he is bringing this, this new theology about who Jesus is is because this is an opportunity to say that it's not just that they remain where they are with just saying, Jesus, Jesus. But he's more than that. He's a life-giving God. This Jesus is the cause of growth. This, this, this opportunity of worship, to know him, it's what, what causes us to grow in our love and our knowledge for him. The other thing that I want to share here is, it's a little bit, um, I've been reading all the th kind of different um, papers on this, but it's amazing to see how creative Paul is being with this. Whether he's using an old hymn, whether he's drawing from different philosophies that are going on and pointing them to Jesus, or kind of bring parallelism. We don't know that. There is a lot of speculation that is going on as people talk about Colossians. But one thing that is no, we know here is that Paul is being very poetic. So those five, five verses are divided really in four stanzas. And it, it, in that kind of symmetric kind of idea of poetry, the first stanza and the last stanza work together and the second and the third stanza work together. I'm not going to give you a lecture on, on, on literature, but it's amazing how Paul is being creative in the way that he's giving something, bang on in the middle of a letter, to a group of people who are emerged with lots of different philosophies and all different things. And he's saying, no, no, we need to be creative. But in the same time, he is being correct. He's making statements without Jesus which actually are very robust. And as we're going to see later on, they're making some big statements there. But he, he, he is being correct. He's, um, 
he's, he's doing something that probably is really countercultural because actually he's doing something that if he's saying things about Jesus, then is really pressing a few buttons and is making people uncomfortable. And also, he's correcting the assumptions and the understanding that people have about Christ. He's dealing with, with people like you and me when we're introduced to a new song and see what our reaction is. An article objecting to a new trend in church music appeared in an American newspaper saying, there are several reasons for opposing this song. One, it's too new. Two, it's often worldly and blasphemous. The new Christian music is not as pleasant as the more established style. Because there are so many new songs, you can really learn them all. It puts too much emphasis on instrumental music rather than on godly lyrics. This new music creates disturbances, making people act indecently and disorderly. The preceding generation got along without it. Fine. It's a money-making scam. Some of this new music upstarts are lewd and lose. You may find yourself agreeing, says the Tim Hughes, and sympathizing with this critique of the modern church music. A particular worship leader or church may even come to mind. However... This article was written in 1723 in opposition to Isaac Watts, the writer of When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Amazing that Paul is choosing to be creative. What an opportunity for us as a church, as a group of people, to choose to, to go and, and, and be creative in what God has given us. In the midst of the opposition from within or in the midst of the opposition from without. But creativity. In the same time, correctness. And I think that's where really division happens. We, we, we're okay with people being creative, but I think the division happens when we agree with this song and with that song. And there are certain songs that do my head in, or certain words in some songs that do my head in. And it's, yeah, but have we got the courage and the correctness to, to be correcting those ideas or those things that are introduced to us? songs. And where do we go for that? We don't go to the philosophies of the world. We go back to the scriptures, to the revelation that Jesus has given us. I want to share this from experience, actually. In 1992, when the church was planted, the first church was planted in Albania, 
the missionaries of those days came ready. And as believers, we had an A4 songbook. I think there were 16 songs, out of which I think probably three or four were in English. So, so we had probably 12 songs of Albanian songs. And I look back, and I, I, I remember, I can tell you all the titles, and I think, wow, how vulnerable we were to be having just so little about the, the, the praises and the worship of God. And how much wrong assumptions did we create as that first generation of Christians to be just handed a, an A4 double-sided piece of song sheets, and that's all you can sing. So I look back and I think, wow, growing up as a Christian, I missed out on those things that were very big for the church in those days, what God was doing through worship in the whole church. Having said that, I'm very grateful for people who actually said, no, we're not going to end up having only just 16 songs or whatever number of songs there is. No, we need to encourage creativity. We need to encourage people to write their own songs. And, and I think the battle still continues because there is a tendency for us, well, I, I think in England or in, Engli in English, in the Western world, we've got it very easy because a song is written in English and once it's written, it could be very easily uh, transferred We've got issues with translations. We've got issues with the words that they've used for the particular translation. So it becomes much more complicated. But I think the idea was how, come can we, how can we encourage people to write their songs? And I think the battle is that actually the tendency is always to go, let's translate this that is popular, rather than just saying, God, how are you going to enable me with creativity? So I can make a statement about who you are, where I am, and my relationship with you, the world, and my fellow mankind. What Paul is doing in Colossians 1, 15 and 20, he's making a very sharp contrast between who Jesus is and who Caesar is. We're going to talk a little bit about it next week when I unfold the, the statement. But it's very interesting how the Roman Empire was so deep in in the society. And what is the statement that Paul makes? He talks about God's Peace, Jesus making peace. When the words of the Pax Romana was the ongoing, the, 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 the most popular phrase that they wanted to, to have an empire based on Roman peace. So Jesus here is being contrasted with, with the Caesar, with the empire. And Paul has to make that statement that actually... You know, if the Caesars and other leaders are treated as God and they're visible, well, he is the image of the invisible God. 
If you think that Caesar thinks he's in charge and he's invincible, well, I know somebody who is bigger than that and has been there from the beginning. He's going to make this sharp contrast to make a powerful statement of who Jesus is. That's what worship is. Audacious. To make these statements is risk-taking. When you've, got, when you've got Caesar, when you've got other people that are looking at you constantly, and you're saying, Jesus is Lord. He's the image of the invisible gods. Caesar is not. He's going to die soon. But I believe in somebody who's going to give peace for the eternity. Unlike the Roman peace. You're not popular. And for such a small community, as I said, the church in, in, in Colossae was a small community, was not a big city. For a church like that, it's remarkably vulnerable. And yet, Paul is making this big, bold, audacious statement saying, this is your God. And I think the last word, I think you probably hear this from me a lot, but if there is one thing, one thing that really is very close to my heart is the legacy of Christian faith that I leave for the next generation. And I mean that. I think we as Church of God have got a big responsibility in this. And this is not a criticism, this is an observation that even with our sung worship, we're raising a generation of Christians who've got only 30 songs in their hymn book. I don't say this lightly. But we are on the brink of breaking that legacy that we have inherited. I have kind of been part of it indirectly, but still been introduced to some good theology in hymns, some good theology in songs that have been written through the years, some good theology in the songs that have been written in this church. And we've got this opportunity here to pass on a a legacy to, to the younger generation, to the next generation, that actually it is making those bold statements of worship, of who God is, is making those really bold, sharp um, contrasts with why Jesus is different, as empowering the young generation, the next generation, to be audacious, and is modeling something that they can do for the Next generation. We're going to stop here. Because I really want for us to to take this on board. Because when Paul is talking about worship and he's talking about using this as an opportunity, he's using this as an opportunity 
to teach God's people of what he sees in Christ. And to show them what they might be missing out if they carry on doing what they're doing. So, I go back to the question. I meant to put it on the last slide. What's the template of our worship and theology at Cairns Road? Is it the cause of growth? Is it creative and correct? Is it making a sharp contrast? Is it audacious? And is it a legacy? I'd love for all those answers to be yes. And they are yes. But let's not become complacent. We say, Jesus, what a beautiful name. How can we be creative and correct with that? If Jesus' name is beautiful, what is the sharp contrast? If Jesus' name is beautiful, then what difference does that make for me to live my life and worship him tomorrow, whether I'm going to school, whether I'm going to hospital, whether I'm going to look after my grandchildren, whether I'm going to a job. And if Jesus' name is beautiful, how am I making sure that the beauty that I have found in the name of Jesus is transferable as a legacy to the next generation. May God help us. Let's pray.